All right, so if you could open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, <clears throat> to be honest, I really don't know how long this is going to be tonight. Um, there's a lot to cover, and uh, I feel like it's all very important to go over. I did go through and delete one point, so you're, Pat, you're welcome. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and tonight we're going to talk about a call to action. A call to action. Um, we've spent several weeks in our student ministry in Romans chapter 12. Um, I've shared some of those messages here on Sunday nights. And uh, whenever we went through that, we did a quick overview of Romans uh, 1 through 11, and then we dissected chapter 12 verse by verse. And our primary finding was that the gospel is our source of salvation, as well as the driving force that changes us from the inside out, and we look and live differently than we did before, and that allows us to then share the gospel with those around us. So I know that was a lot, but that was what we got out of Romans chapter 12. And the purpose of why I get up here and I teach your children on Wednesday nights and I get to, you know, I'm in the rotation on Sundays, and, and, and Brother Gary and Ronnie and, and Brother Dan, the purpose that we teach and preach scripture is not for you to just be more knowledgeable about Scripture. We want you to be knowledgeable, but it's more than that. The purpose is for the knowledge that you acquire to become the actions and the decisions that you make. That's the point. See, James refers to it as being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Because knowledge without application is weak, but knowledge with application is wisdom. So knowledge with application is wisdom. So you want to be wise? Do what it says. That's what we're going to talk about. And we live in a time in history, in our culture, in our society, that we cannot afford for anybody to just sit in church and not do something. And this message is a call to action. That's, that's the, the title. Call to action. It's a call to arms. It's a rallying cry to the true followers of Christ. And tonight we're going to look at Paul's letter to Timothy as Paul is charging Timothy to preach. So we're going to take a look at what he should preach, when he should preach, and why is it so important that he preach. This was Paul's call to action to Timothy, and this is our call to action in today's culture as well. So the first thing that we see is what he should preach. What he should preach. Verse 1. He says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you, therefore. I charge you. I charge you or I command you. The word means to solemnly charge you. And when you, you listen to it, it almost, sounds like, it almost sounds like a military officer giving his marching orders to his men. When we go to continue to read, it sounds like he's, he's giving his marching orders. And, and, and the word that's used for charge, it gives it an intense and passionate call. I charge you, therefore. Now, if you've been around me for a half a second in Bible study, you know that if, the, if there's a therefore, we've got to figure out what the therefore is there for, right? So if you go back to just chapter 3, in the first few verses, it says, But know this, that... In the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, 
unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but, design, but denying its power. Does that sound familiar? Okay. Does it sound familiar? Uh, verse, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Verse 16. All scripture... Did you catch that? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So based on that, therefore, I charge you. Because of these things that are coming in the last days, because you're going to go through persecution, because the word of God is the word of God. Therefore, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, to Paul, this is a big deal. He's basically saying, I charge you, therefore, as God and Jesus as my witness. This is a big deal. He says, who will or is to judge the living and the dead at or by his appearing and his kingdom. So this is, this is in reference to Jesus Christ. And, and there's kind of a double understanding here is the fact that Christ will return. He's coming back. And when he returns, not if, but when, he will come to rule his kingdom and will judge the living and the dead. He will be judging their sin and what they did with Jesus. You say, what do you mean? What, do you, what did they do with Jesus? It means, did they accept the free gift of Jesus' sacrificial forgiveness? Or did they reject Christ and either live in their rebellion or their religion? So that's the first time. The first thing, he will return. And the second, there's a sense of urgency in this, in this verbiage. You might say, what, why? Why is there urgency? Because we don't know when Christ is going to return. We know it, he is coming, but we don't know when he's coming. And it could be any day. Any minute, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. And so we must move with a purpose quickly since we don't know when it's going to happen. He will return just as he promised he would. King Jesus is returning. So we got to get to work. So what do we need to do? Verse 2. Preach the word. Preach the word. My version has an exclamation point. I don't know about yours. But preach the word. Paul is telling Timothy what to preach. The word, the word as a whole, right? Not just bits and pieces. Not just the, the, not just the parts that we want to listen to. Even the parts that make us uncomfortable. Even the passages that might upset certain groups of people. And, and, and just the word. Preach the word. Not a self-help book. Not a man-made philosophy. Not anything in addition. Preach the word. And in order to preach the word, Timothy had to know the word, right? And in order for you to preach the word, to share the word, to live the word, you have to know the word. So I'm going to ask you a question, not for you to answer out loud. Think in your head. You have to ask yourself, how much do I know of the word? How much do I know? How much do I spend time memorizing this? Not out of obligation, right? Not out of trying to earn some kind of self-righteousness. 
but because you hunger and thirst for the word. Because you need it. Because his word is like honey to my mouth, like Psalm 119, 103. Because his word is my joy and my heart's delight, like Jeremiah 15, 6. Because his word is my guiding light, Psalm 119, 105. Read the word, speak the word, pray the word, live the word, preach the word. But then also in John 1, in John 1, we get a little deeper dive into the word. John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word, right? Preach Jesus. Preach the gospel. The Bible in its entirety is about God's redeeming his people. It's his redemptive plan. And it was always Jesus. Jesus was plan A. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see Jesus. I have a whole list here of pictures of Jesus throughout the entire Bible. There's 66 of them. Do you want me to read them? If not, we can save time. It's up to you. Do you want me to read these? Yeah? All right. We're going to read it because now we're going to see what's in your heart. Genesis, the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. Numbers, he's the cloud and the fire. In Deuteronomy, the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, the captain of our salvation. In Judges, the judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, the prophet of the Lord. First and Second Kings, the reigning king. First and Second Chronicles, the glorious temple. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, it's Mordecai. In Job, he is the day spring from on high. In Psalms, he is the Lord who is our shepherd in proverbs and ecclesiastes he is the wisdom of god in song of solomon the lover and the bridegroom in isaiah the suffering servant in jeremiah and lamentations the weeping prophet in ezekiel the son of man in daniel the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven hosea the bridegroom joel the baptizer with the holy spirit Amos, the burden bearer, Obadiah, the mighty savior, Jonah, the forgiving God, Micah, the messenger with beautiful feet, Nahum, the avenger of God's elect, Habakkuk, the great evangelist crying for revival, and Zephaniah, the restorer of the remnant, and Haggai, the cleansing fountain, and Zechariah, the pierced son, and in Malachi, the son of righteousness. Now let's go New Testament. Matthew, the Messiah, Mark, the miracle worker, Luke, the son of man, John, the son of God, Acts the ascended Lord, Romans, the justifier, first and second Corinthians, the last Adam, Galatians, the one who sets us free, Ephesians, the Christ of riches, Philippians, the God who meets every need, Colossians, the fullness of the Godhead, first and second Thessalonians, the soon coming king, first and second Timothy, the mediator 
between God and man. Titus, the blessed hope. Philemon, the friend closer than a brother. In Hebrews, the blood that washes away my sins. In James, the great physician. In First and Second Peter, the chief shepherd. In First, Second, and Third John, everlasting love. In Jude, the God, our Savior. In Revelation, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Bible is all about Jesus. Amen. We got to preach him. Preach the good news to the lost and dying world before the king returns and takes us home to reign forever. Amen. We got the what. Now we need the when. When he should preach. When he should preach. Continuing in verse 2. Be ready in season and out of season. Another way to read that is be ready at all times, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Or when the opportunity occurs or when there's lack of opportunity. So Paul is instructing Timothy to be ready all the time to preach the word, to share the gospel. And we should be ready to preach the gospel at all times. When we are given the opportunity in conversation and to bring it up when the conversation's going in a different way. To always be ready. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give a defense or a reason for the hope that is in you. That means to be looking for opportunities. That means to make your own opportunities. That means to go out of your way to make every effort to be mentally and physically available and present in the moment. And... To behave and act in a manner that opens the door to preach the gospel. Got to be ready. And to be ready, you have to practice, right? You have to prepare. Students, when you get getting ready for a test, what do you do? Well, some of you study, some of you don't apparently. You study. If you play a game, what do you got to do? Win. <laughs> Prior. Practice. You gotta practice. Get ready for a meeting. You gotta prepare. And when you're ready to preach the gospel, you have to know the gospel. When you get ready to preach the word, you gotta know the word. He says, continuing, be ready in season and out of season. Convince or reprove. Convince or reprove, it means to correct or tell what they need to do. We use the word of God for correction. See, the lost have to know about their sin, right? Reprove also means to call to account or to show one his fault. See, if they never know about sin and the punishment of sin, then they have no need for a savior, right? People don't need a life coach. They need to be rescued. They need a savior. And we show them the way, the truth, and the life in love and what they need, need to do to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. To believe in and on Jesus. And see, many churches right now, and this is the reason I'm preaching this message, are afraid to call sin, sin. They don't want to call sin what it is. So they avoid it altogether. Let's just not talk about sin. Let's not talk about hell. Let's just cut that out of the Bible, pretend it's not there. And that produces this shallow, baseless faith. But then you got some on the other side. 
who, who, who force a lot of legalism and moralism into in their preaching. And, th- and that gives you this, this fear faith, right? This fear. I serve them out of fear. So we have to find a balance between grace and truth, right? We preach in grace and truth. It says to re- rebuke. Rebuke means to tell them when they are wrong. Timothy, as the pastor of his church, was charged to correct his flock. And we should encourage each other and hold each other accountable with the word of God. This is where we find our accountability. Not in our opinions. We all got them, right? Not in our opinions. Not in our traditions. Not in our preferences. But, but, but by the word of God. This is the only measuring stick that we should be holding up against our lives. And that also means convictions. Because your conviction might not be the same as mine and vice versa. You are not anyone else's Holy Spirit. Let God take care of that. And finally, exhort. Exhort means to encourage, to comfort, to strengthen. The word of God is where we find our encouragement. It's where we find our comfort. It's where we find our strength. And Paul knows that no matter what Timothy preaches, no matter what he preaches, a child of God can be encouraged. Whether it's lamentations or revelation, every single word in this should bring encouragement and comfort and and peace to a follower of Jesus Christ. This book is full of so much good news, so much gospel, that it calms the storms, it eases the tension, and brings peace in the chaos. Continuing in verse 2, with all long suffering and teaching, with complete patience and careful teaching, long suffering means endurance, perseverance. In other words, keep going strong even when it gets hard. And folks, preaching is hard. I'm just going to tell you now crowds shrink. Right, Brother Gary? <laughs> no one listens. Happens all the time. No one applies it. It's evident. Everyone complains. You're too loud. You're not loud enough. It's too cold. It's too hot. The spiritual gift of complaining. You're always on stage. People are always watching you, just waiting for you to do one thing. You get tired. We have feelings too, right? The list goes on and on. But in the face of it all, Paul says, keep on keeping on. Persevere. And as you are sharing the gospel, you're going to, it's not going to be easy, okay? Not everything is rainbows and unicorns. That's not life. But then it also says, be careful of your teaching. Sound doctrine. Don't phone it in. Be ready and teach it in context. Sound doctrine means I don't pull a scripture out and turn it into whatever I want it to mean based on how I feel. We're going to go into that in a second, trust me. And preach with conviction. Paul's instruction to Timothy and a call to us. It's not easy preaching the word. It's not easy preaching the gospel. You will get tired. You will be made fun of. You may even be canceled by our new cancel culture. You will be watched like a hawk waiting for you to fail. And you'll want to quit. 
But Paul says, keep on keeping on. Never waver in your message. Why? Because it is the most important message in the world. It is life and death. The gospel. The precious gospel must be preached. And God chooses to use us to do it. What an honor. What a privilege. 2 Corinthians 5, he says that we were given the message of reconciliation. Right? He says, therefore, as an ambassador of Christ... As a spokesman for the creator of everything, I urge you, be reconciled to God. That is our cry. That is our duty. We are an ambassador of Christ. What an honor. What a privilege. So we have what to preach. We have when to preach. And finally, why is it so important that that he preach? Why is it so important that he preach? Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. For the time is coming when people will not listen to sound, which means healthy or safe or true teaching. In other words, people don't want to hear the truth of Scripture. It's too harsh, right? It's, it's not true because it's been tainted by men's, a man's opinions and the church. It's outdated. It's too narrow-minded. It's too exclusive. <laughs> You're right. It is exclusive. But it's also open to everybody. Isn't that amazing? It says, but having itching ears. That doesn't mean they have like a fungus. But having itching ears, it means a tickling Or desiring to hear something pleasant. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And that word passions is desires, lusts, and cravings. See, it all boils down to this. They don't want to hear the truth because it doesn't make them feel good about their lifestyle. (coughs) That's what it boils down to. They don't want to hear the truth because it doesn't make them feel good about their lifestyle. So what they do is they search out teachers that teach what sounds good to them and justifies their lifestyle. They find a teacher, what we really should call it, they find a false teacher that gives really good self-help speeches, right? There's a really good one over in Texas. I won't say his name. And they never talk about sin or hell. They never talk about it, but they talk about social issues, right? And how we can demonstrate and and, and protest or, or they teach that sin isn't a real concept and that God is only love and God isn't concerned with justice concerning sin. So it's okay to live a homosexual lifestyle. It's fine. It's okay to tell God that he was wrong and live a transgendered lifestyle. Or it's okay for your children to take hormones and estrogens to be a different sex. Y'all might think I'm exaggerating. It's everywhere. The book of Judges refers to this as people doing what is right in their own eyes. And that's our society. That's our society. We just read Timothy 3, 1 through 7 or 8. And that is our culture right now. This is our society. See, our culture 
And we have to remember to balance things. Our culture is not interested in living a Christ-honoring life. They're not, right? I mean, they, they, they have no problem accepting hippie Jesus. Which, if you ever heard of hippie Jesus, it's the fictitious Jesus that some churches have come up with that's just peace, love, and harmony and re- racial, racial reconciliation. And that's the whole point of Jesus. They're fine with that Jesus. But don't give me the Jesus says that I came with a sword. Okay? Don't, don't give them that Jesus. They don't want to hear about that Jesus. But see, we shouldn't be surprised when the lost act lost. Right? We shouldn't be surprised when lost act lost. But when a church acts lost, that's when I get some righteous anger brewing in me. I've seen some stuff over the past few weeks that's made me very righteously angry. Okay, When a church is more interested in entertaining the goats instead of feeding the sheep, then that church is more interested in tickling ears and helping people die in their sin instead of rebuking, reproving, and exhorting using the word of God. When false teachers preach that it's okay to live in sexual immorality, that God is more concerned with racial reconciliation than anything else, and that all dogs go to heaven, then we've moved into the last days. Paul says, for the time is coming, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, guess what? It's here. Verse 4. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths or fables or false stories. See, churches are replacing absolute truth of Scripture with the myth of relativism. And relativism is all over our culture right now. If you don't know what that is, it essentially is there's no absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. I have my truth. You have your truth. It can be true for now, but it can change later. And someone else's truth could be more important than someone else's truth because they're discriminated against. So their truth is more truth than a white man's truth, essentially. There is no absolute truth, which means there is no absolute right and wrong. They're replacing harmony and unity of Scripture with the myth of CRT, which is critical race theory. If you came the last time I spoke, I talked a lot about that. Intersectionality and wokeness. And all three of those are divisive and destructive. They are not harmonious and they do not promote unity. They're replacing the true gospel of scripture with the myth of prosperity gospel and social justice gospel. They're replacing the definition of man and woman and family from scripture with transgenderism and sexual perversion. They're replacing the sanctity of human life in scripture with the myth of pro-choice and hashtag my body, my choice. They're replacing traditional biblical Christianity with progressive Christianity. This is where I'm going to camp out for a minute because I got a little frustrated this past week. Progressive Christianity. Have any of you ever heard that term? Progressive Christianity? So they really should call it progressive culturalism because there is no Christianity in it whatsoever. I saw an article pop up that said, Evangelical church states that the Bible is not the word of God. 
I immediately had to read such article. So I go to open this article. It's a progressive church. So immediately, it's not evangelical. I'm going to tell you that right now. And it's the same church. It's called Grace Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm going to call them out by name because the Bible says we should. Paul does. Why can't I? Okay? She's going to do it right now. And back in 2015, this church decided, well, we're going to support gay marriage. We're going to support gay marriage. We're cool with that. In fact, they have openly gay people on their staff. Their worship leader's gay. They have their pronouns behind their name and their staff. He wants to be referred to as he, him, that kind of thing. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to check their statement of faith. Because I want to know what they say about themselves. I don't want to make up any assumptions, right? They already say that the Bible is not the word of God, so I know they're... I'll keep it to myself. But anyway, so I go to their statement of faith, and there's a lot of... Garbage. I'm just going to tell you right now, from top to bottom. But the one that really got my blood boiling was the one that said, we are all inherently connected to God. We're all inherently connected to God. All dogs go to heaven. And I'm sitting there, a little frustrated. Because according to the Bible, we are all born separated from God. And it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are reconciled to God the Father. It is only through Jesus that we are saved. It is only through Jesus that we have any inkling of getting close to the Father. And how dare these people, how dare they completely nullify the death of Jesus Christ with that statement. How dare they? And they should repent. And yeah, I got a little angry there and I apologize. But it's frustrating to me. Because this progressive garbage is what's taking over Christianity right now. We have to take our head out of the sand and see it. This, Paul uses a term in Philippians. uh, I'm going to try to say it right. Scupola. And I think that describes this. Look up the word later. I won't say what it means in church. But that's what this is. It's dung. It is. And this is what this is why, folks, this is why we gotta preach the gospel. This is why we gotta live the gospel. This is why we gotta go out and start knocking on doors. This is why we gotta start bringing people in. This is why we gotta start giving. This is why we've got to get out and get out of these chairs and go out to these neighborhoods and tell people about the real Jesus of the real Bible that's from the real God. We are in those days when Tim Keller comes out in support of LGBTQIAMNOP, blah, 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 and starts promoting white guilt. That's a great sign we're in the end days. When one of the greatest apologists and speakers, Ravi Zachariah, is found to have been abusing women sexually prior to his death last year, the end is near. When a church, a church, church, I saw this video, celebrates a child that decides through his mother's prompting that he is transgendered and wants to be a girl and they baptize him as a her, we need to get busy preaching. 
And this is why Timothy needed to do it. And then this is why we need to preach the gospel to every creature in and out of season. Verse 5. But as for you, be watchful in all things. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Watch. Be calm. Be temperate. Keep a level head. Endure afflictions. Hardships. Troubles. Because we are going to suffer as a follower of Jesus Christ, y'all. It's just true. In our modern society, in our current culture, it's already starting. It's already starting. Over in China, they had this thing called the, the social score. Has anyone ever heard of this? In China, they have a social score. And if you go to a place that's a known place of worship for Christians, if you go to, and everything's digital, so when you buy stuff, the government can see it. And so when you go on a website and you look up things that are Christian, when you buy a Bible, anything and everything that is toward Jesus or being a Christian, your credit score, or not credit score, sorry, your, not your credit score, it's similar to a credit score, but your social score goes lower and lower and lower. And if you're friends with someone on Facebook that has a low social score, your score goes down too. And if your score goes down too much, then you can't have a job or someone's going to fire you. Brother against brother, anyone? Don't be surprised when it happens here. We're going to be accused of hate speech. In fact, most of everything I've said tonight is probably considered hate speech. It truly is, right? Because in 2021, words equal violence. Words equal violence. Now, when people tear things down, it's a peaceful protest, but we're not going to talk about that. But what I said tonight is hate speech because it's not inclusive, it's not equitable. They're going to try to take us off the internet. We could lose our jobs. We could have our homes and belongings destroyed by these peaceful protests. We're going to be, if you are truly doing what this word says, you're going to endure suffering. It says, do the work of an evangelist or do the work of telling the good news, the gospel. Folks, always be ready to share the gospel. Always. And let that be what lights your fire and fuels your drive. Because an evangelist, they want to share that gospel. We have been saved by grace through faith. Reconciled to God the Father, joint heirs with Christ, redeemed, justified, and one day glorified. And that should get us so excited that we just can't hide it. And we want to tell the world about the goodness of God. Preach the gospel. And finally, fulfill your ministry or complete all the duties of a servant of God. See, we've all been called to do something. We have all been called to do something. No one has been called to the spiritual gift of sitting on a chair. We have been given God-given duties that we are created with, and we must use our gifts for the body and for the glory of God. Some are, some are called to serve, some are teachers, some are preachers, some exhort, some give, but we are all called to preach the gospel. Mark 16, 15, right? Go into all the world and... Preach the gospel to every creature. So the point of tonight is this. It's a call to action. Church, go preach the word. Go preach the word. Give truth in love and go preach the gospel. Love God, love others, and go. God, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace.
We thank you that we are allowed to still gather and lift up the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we will be aware of the things going on around us so we know our enemy. We know what's coming against us so that we can be ready. And I pray that we will prepare ourselves with the gospel. That we will put on the armor of Christ. And that we take that sword, we take that word, dividing every two-edged sword that divides. I pray, Father, that we will use that to take down the enemies that are not only the ones that are out there, but the ones that are coming inside. I pray that we will be a church that just just absorbs and just sits and, and, and focuses on your word. The whole word. And that we will put it in our minds and our hearts. It will be in our speech. It will be in our actions. It will be in our thoughts. It will be in our songs. God, I pray that we will preach the gospel until they lock us up for doing it. And then we're going to preach to the people in prison. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we just thank you so much for each and every opportunity we have to gather together. I thank you for our church. I pray you be with our pastor and continue to guide him and direct him in leading us and our congregation as we share the word on the corner of Bay Meadows and Craven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.